we're in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 tonight, and uh, we started last Sunday night the series on Baptist beliefs. And uh, let's go ahead and stand together. We'll read uh, these few verses here, these three verses. We'll go ahead and uh, pick it up actually in verse number 14. 2 Timothy four or 3 and verse 14, uh, Paul says to Timothy, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Kind of goes back to what we talked about this morning with the importance of teaching and teachers. Verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Lord, it's been a good day in your house, and Lord, as we talk about your word tonight, I pray that uh, you would help us to put away distractions, help us, Lord, to be uh, open and honest in our hearts with our relationship with your word and uh, help us to understand how wonderful your word really is. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Uh, tonight we have kind of tried to keep the theme with the word of God and, and the importance of the word of God. Now last Sunday, as, as I mentioned, we did start this series on Baptist beliefs, uh, looking at uh, the different uh, distinctives that set us apart as Baptists. Uh, we are Cornerstone Baptist Church, and for a good reason, not just Cornerstone Church. And uh, there are a lot of Cornerstone churches out there, uh, but I'm grateful that we have that name Baptist. And, and uh, so long as I'm the pastor, it will continue to be Cornerstone Baptist Church. We will keep that name uh, because it is important to set us apart. Now, I do want to make something very, very clear to everybody tonight, and uh, I, I, I failed to do this last Sunday, and, and I want to make sure that I, I mention this because this is really important to say, and that is, Baptists will not be the only ones in heaven. In fact, unfortunately, there's going to be several Baptists who do not even go to heaven, unfortunately, because having eternal life and going to heaven has nothing to do with our denomination, but has everything to do with, as I mentioned this morning, our relationship with Jesus Christ. However, if the Bible says something is true, then we should hold to that truth. And so that's why uh, we as Baptists are trying to uh, take what the Word of God says and, and, uh, and hold on to that. Now, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, Judas, and, and we spoke about him a couple weeks ago when we had our communion. Judas attended the greatest assembly ever. Now, it wasn't a, necessarily a church, although you could take the definition of church, which is called out assembly, and, and say that the disciples were, were part of that first church. But really, the church started there uh, after or on the day of Pentecost. But Judas attended the greatest assembly ever, and really, he had the greatest pastor ever, didn't he? Jesus was the greatest leader, the greatest teacher, the greatest preacher uh, in history. And, uh, and yet Judas is not in heaven right now. So I believe that there are a lot of Baptists who go to church week after week, who maybe even a member of a church, who maybe even, even deacons, maybe even some pastors of Baptist churches that 
will not go to heaven because they have not trusted Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Maybe they're holding on to the fact that, oh, I've always believed, I've always been a Baptist, therefore I must be saved. God must let me into heaven. That's not the way it works. So I wanted to uh, mention that this, this evening uh, just to clarify that I do not believe that Baptists are the only ones that go to heaven. Uh, the only ones that go to heaven are the ones who place their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Um, but if you're going to go to heaven, you may as well go in first class. <laughs> um, and that's, that's a joke. Um, now, last Sunday morning, uh, in our series in the book of Philippians, we talked about the name of Christ and how it's been exalted, and now it's the name which is above every name. And yet there's an interesting verse in Psalm 138 in verse number 2. The psalmist said, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. And then he says this, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. So as wonderful and precious as the name of God and Christ is, God has actually magnified his word above all his name. That's pretty important. And so tonight we're going to come to the very first Baptist distinctives, and that is what you see on the screen tonight, and that is Bible-only authority. We believe that the Bible is our only authority for faith and practice. Now on your outline, there's a little paragraph there at the beginning, and it says, with churches that promote tongues, revelations, experiences, dreams, visions, and word of knowledge can be difficult to know what to believe. That is why we as Baptists hold on to the Bible as our only source of, source of authority. Because it never changes. Because it's settled forever in heaven. Now, there are some other forms of authority that other religions have. And uh, I'll notice those tonight. Number one, a man. And Brother David, if you want to throw this on the screen here, I think... That's on the screen. I think it is. Um, so one of them is man. And this is usually referred to as the, uh, the Catholic Church with their uh, leader, the Pope. And so really, if, if the Bible says something and the Pope says something, a lot of times, a lot of Catholic churches take the Pope's word over the Bible's word. And obviously, that is very dangerous because we're, we're relying upon a man who is fallible instead of the infallible Word of God. Uh, what, what's next? Uh, church tradition is another, uh, is another thing that a lot of churches use. You know, hey, we've, this is how we've always done it. And uh, if the Bible says something different, well, we're going to go with what we've always done. And uh, obviously, very dangerous. And uh, even as Baptists, we can be tempted to use church tradition because we don't like to change. <laughs> and uh, we think that, hey, because we've always done it that way, we have to keep doing it that way. And if someone comes in and changes it, uh, then they must be wrong. Well, if the Bible tells us to change it, uh, it's not wrong. And we better change it. So the Bible is more important than man. Church tradition, 
number three is works. Uh, some people think that, hey, if we work hard enough, it doesn't really matter what the Bible says because that's more important to God. Uh, no. His word, he, we just said that he uh, magnifies his word above all his name. So works do not trump the word of God. And then also other books, the Book of Mormon uh, would sticks out in my mind. As you know, when you talk to a Mormon, they say, "Oh, we believe the Bible." Yes, but you also believe the Book of Mormon, and there are contradictions between the two. And when there is a contradiction, you go with the Book of Mormon. So, as Baptists, we hold to the fact that the Bible is our only authority for faith and practice, and as a church, it is our manual. Uh, we look at how the New Testament church operated. Now, they didn't have a sound system. They didn't have screens. They didn't have you know, some of these things. But uh, we try to take the principles that we see laid out in the New Testament and, and in some of the instructional books that Paul gave to Timothy and Titus on church, uh, how to run a church. Well, this isn't just like, well, that's nice. No, this is... This is our, our commission as a church to look at these things and make sure that we're lining up with what God has instructed uh, these churches to do. And so tonight, let's talk about the Bible a little bit. Let's talk about the Word of God. And uh, I hope that you'll, uh, you'll stay with me tonight and uh, we'll try not to make it too lengthy. But number one, I want us to notice, first of all, the Bible is totally perfect. The Bible is totally perfect. Uh, in verse number 16, the Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Um, one of the things about the Bible that I want to share with you tonight, it is infallible. So the Bible is infallible, which means not capable of making mistakes, not capable of failing, and it's never wrong. This book that you have in your hand, in your lap tonight, is something that is special. This is no ordinary book, and it's infallible. It's something that will never fail. Psalm 111 and verse number 7 says, The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. The Word of God is infallible. And you can take it to the bank. It's never going to fail. Not one of His promises. Tonight we sang at the beginning of the service, standing on the promises. If you stand on the promises, it's, it's going to stand firm. You don't have to worry about falling through those promises. They're going to last because the Bible is infallible. Not only is the Bible infallible, it is also inerrant. Inerrant, that means the Bible tells the truth and that there are no errors in it. Every jot and tittle is correct. Psalm 119, verse 151 says, Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. So the Bible tells the truth and there are no errors in it. I know that there are people out there who say, Oh, there's contradictions in the Bible. But friend, there are no such thing as contradictions in the Bible. Each one of those has a logical and accurate uh, rebuttal on that. 
So the Bible is infallible, it's inerrant, and it is also inspired. And this, of course, John, uh, first, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This means God breathed it into existence. Pretty amazing that the Bible that you have in your hand, you can know that it is inspired of God because the word of God is inspired. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, the Bible says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I believe it was 1,500 years at the, uh, from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Uh, it took 1,500 years for all, for all the books of the Bible to be written by 40 different human authors. And yet there's no contradictions. There are no errors. Only God could do that. And holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It was the Holy Ghost who uh, motivated and moved these men. And it's amazing how he did that because he used their personalities. He used their, their strengths and their weaknesses. He was able to use them to write the word of God. Now there's a statement on your outline tonight and it says, Men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself but because it contradicts them. And I know that there are people out there who try to say that the Bible has some contradictions. The reason they're trying to do that, they're trying to fall, find some fault in it. The reason they're trying to do that is so that it can just justify the way they live. If they can discredit the Bible, then they have no God to answer to. If they can discredit the account of creation, then then I can live however I want and I have no accountability to a higher power. But the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It contradicts men. And you know, too often we like to try to say, you know, uh, stop petting the, the cat the wrong way. Actually, the cat needs to turn around. And when it comes to the Lord and His Word, we're not... We don't need to change the Word of God to fit our lifestyle. No, no, we need to change our lifestyle to fit the Word of God. The, the Word of God never changes and, and uh, gives great warning for those who decide to change the Word of God. And so we need to make sure that we're not discredit, trying to discredit the Bible because um, it doesn't contradict itself. Uh, we need to make sure that we're changing and complying to the Word of God instead of allowing the Word of God to comply to us. There's a, uh, I, I saw this, uh, If go ahead and put this on the screen here. There's a little comic, and it may be hard to see here. So uh, on the left, there's a sign that says, things that validate my beliefs and feelings. And there's obviously a huge line there. And then there's the other line where it just says, simply says, Scripture. See, the, the vast majority of people want something that's going to validate and comply with who they are and their desires and their wants and, and their lifestyle. But no one really wants Scripture because when you do, it's going to shine the light and be different from, uh, than, than, than the way you're living. And so I want to encourage all of us tonight to understand that the Word of God is, is what it is. To not try to change it or tweak it, but to be submissive to it. 
And so the Bible is totally perfect. And secondly, tonight, the Bible is truth. The Bible is truth. It's different than just saying the Bible is true. Because I'm saying the Bible is truth. First of all, under this, it it doesn't just have the truth. It is truth. John 17, verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Again, it doesn't just contain the truth. It doesn't just, you know, you can find truth in it. No, from, from cover to cover, it's true. And it is the truth. Psalm 119, verse 160. The psalmist said, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. In Psalm 119, and verse 142. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Hebrews 6.18 tells us that uh, it is impossible for God to lie. And so when he says something in his word, it's, it's just true because God wrote it, and God is truth. Who was the one that said this, morning, this, this evening, Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life is Jackson, who's maybe asleep right now. So is Mark, so are, uh, anyway. (laughs) Um, God who is truth. It's impossible for God to lie. He just simply tells the truth because that is his character, and his word uh, is truth because of that. Now, if the Bible is true, Next thought here, if the Bible is true, then anything that contradicts it is false. This is just a logical flow of thought here. If the Bible is true, then anything that would contradict the Bible is false. Okay, what are some things that contradict the Bible? Well, first of all, think of the theory and the lie of evolution. It says that we were not created, that we were uh, the result of millions and billions of years of uh, cells developing and mutating, and, and all of a sudden, here we are. That is a slap in the face to the Scriptures. And it contradicts the Word of God, and therefore, because the Word of God is true, then evolution is false. And you say, well, yeah, but they got evidence. I don't care how much evidence they have. If it goes against the word of God, it is false. They just don't have the right evidence yet. And uh, obviously, we most of us know there is tremendous evidence for creation. And uh, we went to the Creation Museum in in, uh, Kentucky and and also the Ark Encounter. And both of those gave... um, Tons and tons of evidence that point to the accuracy in, uh, of the Word of God. But if you, even if you don't have a ton of evidence, it doesn't really matter. If it goes against the Word of God, it's false, period. What about uh, salvation by works? That if you're just simply a good enough person, then God will let you into heaven. Well, that mentality goes against what the Bible teaches. Therefore, that teaching is false. Well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, everything we we get in our life, we have to earn, right? 
So salvation must be the same way, right? No, because that's not what the Bible teaches. What about uh, baptism? You know, our church has always baptized babies. It's just what our church has done. And that, te- that, that type of teaching goes against the uh, order mentioned in the Word of God. So that type of teaching, we can conclude, is false. The, this idea of once you're saved, then you just, you know, you're under grace now. You live how you want. Of course, that goes against a lot of the teaching of the Word of God in Titus chapter 2. And verse number uh, 12, teaching us uh, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us the denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live uh, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So those type of teachings go against the Bible, and they are wrong, and they are false because of it. The Bible is true that anything that contradicts it is false. And so I want to encourage all of us to get so familiar with the Word of God that when something gets mentioned that is false, we automatically go, red flag, that goes against the Bible. It's like one of our uh, friends in California, when we were going to church in California, she was a banker. She worked at a bank, and she told us that, you know, we we asked her about uh, the counterfeit bills. And we said, you know, how do you know that it's the counterfeit bills? And Well, they don't show us what the counterfeit bills look like. They just give us all the real stuff, and we get so familiar with the real bills that when a counterfeit one's come through, we automatically notice it because we're so familiar with the real thing. I want to encourage all of us to be so familiar with the real thing that when you hear something that someone says that goes against it, you automatically know. The problem is a lot of Christians are, are so simple when it comes to their Bible knowledge. They don't really know the Bible. And so when someone says something or they hear a song or they, or they uh, hear something online or they read something on, on Facebook that somebody says and they say, well, boy, that sounds nice. That sounds good. That sounds agreeable to me. Not realizing that it completely goes against the Bible. So God wants us to be good students of the Bible and understand what the Bible says. So the Bible is totally perfect. The Bible is truth. And then thirdly tonight, the Bible is trustworthy. I like this thought. The Bible is trustworthy. Look, first of all here, if the Bible is true, then it is worthy of your trust. And it is true, by the way, and not just because I say so, because God says so. And because it is true, then it is worthy of my trust. It was President Ronald Reagan who said this, Within the covers of one single book, the Bible, are all the answers to all the problems that face us today. If only we would read and believe. So in other words, we've got to know what the Bible says, and then we've got to believe what the Bible says. Next thought here, in order to fully trust God's word, you must read it, you must study it, and you must memorize it. And I know what you're thinking. All the blanks are filled out. We're almost done. I wish that were true. (laughs) Because here's where we get to the message. 
we're almost done. But if we're going to really trust God's word, again, as I mentioned, we've got to know God's word. And uh, I know that there's churches out there that try to, you know, Catholics in particular, who try to not encourage their, uh, their people to read the Bible. As Baptists, we want to encourage everyone to read the Bible uh, and to know the Bible. The reason they do, they, they do that is because they don't want people to know that their church is teaching heresy. But I'd like to invite you to turn over to Deuteronomy chapter number 17. Deuteronomy 17, and I came across this a couple weeks ago in in my Bible reading, and it has to do with the importance of reading God's Word. And I'd like to just share it with you tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse number 14. And we'll read through the end of this chapter here. Verse 14 says, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and it shall dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set a king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. He shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses for as much as the Lord hath said unto you. Ye shall henceforth return no more that way. And so uh, here God is giving some instruction regarding the future king that would take place. And uh, certainly, uh, well, in, in 1 Samuel, we see that, that that prophecy being fulfilled, they would say, I want a king, when the Lord wanted to be their only king. But uh, So he made, he made instruction and provision on how it was supposed to happen. Let's keep reading here in verse number 17. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart not turn away. Neither shall he greatly multiply himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and the Levites. So this is the word of God here. Verse 19, and it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his tenure as king. Is that what it says? All the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Now, I, I know maybe you're thinking, you're thinking, well, that's great. I'm not a king of Israel. Now, there may be the next king of Israel in this room, but I doubt it. Um, but all of us have a level of authority, don't we? Some of us have some pretty great authority when we come to when when it goes to work. Tomorrow morning you'll have several people that answer to you. You say, "Well, I'm just a I'm just a mom." Oh, well, that's a level of authority. Um God has given us all some type of authority, and we would be wise to take heed to 
the instruction here in verse number 19, and it shall be with him and he shall read therein according uh, all the days of his life that you will take the word of God and daily read it. The, uh, I think about the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. It says, These were no, more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. And what they were doing is they were checking the, the teaching of, of, uh, of Paul and, and those who were teaching there, and they were just trying to make sure that what they were saying lined up with the truth, uh, with the word of God. And uh, I would invite you to do the same with me. Um, don't just take my word for it. Check it out with the word of God. And if there's error in what I'm saying, I'd like to know because I'd like to change what I'm saying. I don't want to think that, hey, just because I've always said it doesn't mean that it's always 100% correct. I'm willing to change if the Bible says to change. But we need to read God's word every day. I would encourage you to get on a Bible reading schedule. Back in January when we had our vision, uh, vision night, we gave out a Bible reading schedule to everybody. I would encourage you as a believer to read your Bible every day. So in order to fully trust God's word, you must read it, and then you must study it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I realize that there are things that people study in college and uh, for a career, and uh, nothing wrong with that. Very, very healthy to do that. But if we do that and don't study the Bible for ourselves, we're, we're missing the most important manual there is, the manual for life. Let's make sure that in all of us studies that we do as students and as young people that we're not neglecting the study of God's Word. Look, you may not be necessarily a theologian, but you should have a basic knowledge of the Bible. Is reading the Bible a necessary part of your day, or does it have a low priority in your life? George Mueller, after having read the Bible through 100 times, with increasing delight, made this statement. I look upon it as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the Word of God. Friends would often say to him, I have so much to do, so many people to see, I cannot find time for Scripture study. Mueller said, perhaps there are not many who have more to do than I. For more than half a century, I have never known one day when I have had, not had more business than I could get through. And then he said, for four years, I've annually, I have had annually about 30,000 letters. I did the math, that's 83 letters every day. Most of these have passed through my own hands. Then as a pastor of a church with 1,200 believers, great has been my care. Besides, I have had charge of five immense orphanages. Also at my publishing depot, the printing and circulating of millions of tracts, books, and Bibles. But I've always made it a rule to never begin work until I've had a good season with God and His Word. The blessing I have received has been wonderful, Mueller said. I'm not saying you're not busy. I'm saying if you're honestly too busy to read and study the Word of God, 
and you need to cut something out of your life because you're too busy. This is wonderful words of life, teaching me faith and duty. Oh, we don't have time for that because I spent too much time on Facebook last night and I'm really tired. A man in Kansas City was severely injured, and I've shared this story before, but perhaps there are some who haven't heard it. A man in Kansas City was severely injured in an explosion, and evangelist Robert Sumner tells about him in his book, The Wonders of the Word of God. You see, this victim's face was badly disfigured, and he lost his eyesight as well as both hands. He was just a new Christian, and and one of his greatest disappointments was that he could no longer read the Word of God, read the Bible. Well, then he heard about a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. Well, hoping to do the same, he sent for some books of the Bible in Braille, and unfortunately, much to his dismay, he discovered that the nerve endings in his lips had also been destroyed by the explosion. One day, as he brought one of the Braille pages to his lips, though, his tongue slipped out and happened to touch a few of the raised characters, and he could feel them with his tongue. And like a flash, he thought, I know what I can do. I can read the Bible using my tongue. Well, at the time Robert Sumner wrote his book, the man had read through the entire Bible four times using just his tongue. What's your excuse? What's my excuse for not reading the Bible? We need to read the Bible, we need to study the Bible, and then we need to memorize the Bible. And I am so grateful for those who are doing that on Sundays and Wednesday nights. And the children, it's such a blessing to see you put God's Word in your heart. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Noted Bible teacher E. Schuler English told of Michael Billister, a a Bible distributor who visited a small hamlet in Poland shortly before World War II. Billister gave a Bible to a villager, one Bible, who was converted just by reading it. The new believer then passed the book on to others, and the cycle of conversions and sharing continued until 200 people had become believers through that one Bible. When Billister returned in 1940, this group of Christians met together for a worship service in which he was to preach the word. He normally asked for testimonies, but this time he suggested that several in the audience recite verses of scripture. One man stood and said, "Uh, I'm sorry, perhaps we have misunderstood. Did you mean verses or chapters? See, these villagers had not memorized a few select verses of the Bible, but whole chapters and even books of the Bible. Thirteen people in that congregation knew the entire book of Matthew, Luke, and half of Genesis. Folks, that's over 3,000 verses. Another person had committed to memory the entire book of Psalms, which is over 2,500 verses. A single copy of the Bible given by Billister had done its work. Transformed lives bore witness to the power of the word. Again, what, 
What's our excuse? We would say amen when we say the Bible is valuable. But does our schedule and our time say that the Bible is valuable? We say amen when we say Baptists believe in Bible-only authority. Amen. Yeah, we don't believe in the Pope. We believe in the Bible. But you know what? As individuals, how are we doing with the Bible? What's our relationship to his word? Matthew chapter 4, it's recorded. We're not going to take the time to go through it, but it records the temptations that Jesus faced there in the wilderness after 40 days of not eating. He was tired. He was hungry. The devil comes to him and tempts him three different times, and each time he fends off the temptation by saying three words, it is written, and then goes and quotes a scripture verse. Jesus used the scriptures that were in his heart to battle temptation. I want to encourage and challenge you who are facing temptation and and besetting sins that you can't seem to get over to get the word of God in your heart that you might use that to fend off the temptation that comes your way. Are you struggling with anger? Find verses in the word of God, and there are many that deal with the subject of anger. Put them in your heart. Memorize them. They're ammunition you can use against the devil when he comes. Too often, oh, I don't have time for that. I've got all my fun things that I do. And yet, we fall back into anger when the temptation comes. Friend, the only ammunition that's going to work is not trying harder, not being more committed and disciplined. No, it's just getting simply the word of God in our heart. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee, the psalmist said. What about lust? We live in a lustful society. There is no question. Most of us would readily admit that that is the case. How are we going to fight off this lust that we all struggle with, particularly men? Getting the word of God in our heart. Getting the word of God in our heart. What about laziness? Are we tempted to be lazy? Get the word of God that talks about slothfulness. There's a lot of verses in the book of Proverbs that deal with that. Do a little searching. Do a little study. I know it's going to take a little time and effort. But we're talking about your life here. We're talking about your relationship with God. It's worth the effort. What about unforgiveness? Maybe you're dealing with some of that in your own heart, and someone has wronged you, and you've not dealt with it. Find verses that deal with forgiveness in the Word of God and put them in your heart. What about pride? All of us struggle with that. There's a plethora of verses that talk about humility and the dangers of pride. Please get those in your hearts and use that to fend off the temptation. What about telling the truth or telling lies? If you struggle with telling the truth when it's difficult, find verses in the Word of God that talk about it. Look, years and years ago, it was a lot more difficult than it is now. I mean, it's a Google search away, and boom, you've got 15, 20 verses that pop up just like that for each of these that I'm mentioning. Some of us won't even take the time to do that. Selfishness. Are you tempted to be selfish? Find verses that deal with it. 
Now, trusting the Word of God means to obey the Word of God. If you really trust something, you're going to do it. Matthew chapter 7, again, we won't take the time to go there, but Jesus talks about those who hear the Word of God and do it, those who hear the Word of God and don't do it. One's likened unto the man that builds his house upon the rock. And that's the one who hears the word of God and does it and trusts it and obeys it. And there's the other man who hears the word of God and doesn't obey it. He's like the man that builds his house upon the sand. And the storms come. And by the way, the storms will come in each of our lives. Only those who are obedient to God's word are the ones that are going to stand firm. But if you say, oh, I know what the Bible says, but that's not for me. The storm's going to come, and you're going to regret that decision. In George Foreman's book, God in My Corner, the former heavyweight boxing champion writes, In 1974, before I went to Africa to fight Muhammad Ali, a friend gave me a Bible to take along on my trip. He said, George, keep this with you for good luck. I believe the Bible was just a shepherd's handbook, probably because the only verse I knew at that time was the Lord is my shepherd. But I was always looking for luck, so I carried the Bible with me. I had lucky pennies and good luck charms, so now I added the lucky Bible to my collection of superstitious items. Foreman continues, after I lost the fight, though, I threw the Bible away. I never even opened it. I thought the Bible didn't help me win, so why do I need it? thought I'd get power simply from owning it. I didn't realize that I needed to read it and believe what it says. Since then, I've come to understand that the Bible is my roadmap, not my good luck charm. The Bible is only as good as the effort you put into it. The Bible's not going to change your life just by sitting on your shelf. The Bible's going to change your life when you get into it when you immerse yourself into it. There's a quote uh, by John Adams that I saw. uh, Brother Randy posted this uh, earlier this week or a couple days ago. And it says here, Suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be? Suppose a church in some near region should take the Bible for their only law book. And every member of Cornerstone Baptist Church should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. What a utopia, what a paradise would this church be? But it's going to have to require all of us to individually make that decision. Last thing will be done. The Bible is a divine revelation given by God to men and is a complete and infallible guide and standard of authority in all matters of religion and morals. Whatever it teaches is to be believed and whatever it commands is to be obeyed. Whatever it commends is to be considered right and useful and whatever it condemns is to be avoided. Not only does it contain the only plan for salvation, but also the plan for the Christian life of joy and victory. The Bible is to be read, it's to be preached, it's to be lived and shared. 
No one person, denomination, ecclesiastical hierarchy, or government is to dictate the affairs of the church. The Bible alone is to be followed with regard to the practice of the local church. And I would add to the practice of the individual believer. And I would encourage you to make some decisions tonight regarding your relationship with the Word of God. I think we could all stand to uh, do a little more reading, do a little more studying, do a little more memorizing. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the verses that were shared a little bit ago from some of these uh, precious saints. Lord, I thank you for um, how the Word of God has touched their lives. And these verses that are special to them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the right relationship with your word as individuals. Lord, as a church, help us to uh, not look to tradition, not look to the way we've always done it, but to make sure that we're looking at the only authority for our faith and practice, which is your word, which never changes. Help us, Lord, to do that. And then individually help us to, Lord, know your word. And walk in your word, to love it, to live it. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be like the Bereans, that we're, uh, we're not ignorant regarding the word of God, but that we want to know what the Bible says. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.